Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We'll be uh, beginning with verse 16. We've uh, been building to this moment, right? The last couple of weeks, we've just been looking at the trial. We've been looking at Pilate uh, trying to get out uh, of what the Jews want done to Christ, which is crucifixion. He he tries and tries to, to get out of having to do this, but we know here uh, that uh, the time has finally come because he's trying to, Pilate's trying to get out and they start saying, hey, you're no friend of Caesar. You're no friend of Rome. And so that becomes a very dangerous situation. So finally, Pilate agrees that he will allow Christ to be crucified. So let's look at verses, pick up at verse 16. I'll give you just a moment. I still hear your pages turning. It says in verse 16, So he, meaning Pilate, delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written... I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took His garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also His tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the Scripture which says they divided My garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I want us to look at, first, just the simple facts of the crucifixion. And then we'll look at uh, a couple of observers that we see in this text concerning the crucifixion. And so we see here that they took immediate action, right? When they got the go-ahead, it was business time. It was time to handle Jesus. They had been waiting for so long for this moment to get to finally crucify Him, get to put Him, put an end to Him and all the trouble that He had been causing the Jews. And so when they got the go-ahead, they immediately went into action to get it done. I want you to, want you to notice that, that He went out. It says that Jesus 
went out. And I think this is an important statement. This continues this theme that John wants us to know is that no one is making him do this. It doesn't say that, uh, that he was drugged out to be crucified. It does not say that he was goaded to go be crucified. It says that he went out. He is in control and he is in his great uh, view of the glory of his Father and his love for us. He goes out. He went out. We see here first the carrying of his cross. There's some interesting things to think about when we think about the carrying of his cross. Now, now remember, in, uh, as was the custom, he carried the cross beam, right? The, the part where his hands were nailed. He didn't carry the whole thing. That, they had the, uh, the rest of it uh, was at the place of the crucifixion. So he carried the cross beam. And just remember, he's already been beat up, right? He's already been lashed and, and, and he's been beaten by soldiers. And here he is having to carry his own cross. And this is likely why we know from the other Gospels he didn't make it all the way, that, that someone had to help him carry his cross. But we see in this carrying of his cross, we see it's part of his suffering. It's part of his suffering. Right? It's just it's part of like the soldiers beating him, uh, the, the nails through his hands, Everything he's going to have to endure, carrying that, that piece of the cross was part of his suffering. It also was, was signifying the type that had been said in the Old Testament. Remember when Abraham uh, was told to sacrifice Isaac, what happened when they got to the place uh, that that was to take place? Isaac had to carry the wood that was meant to be how he would die. He bore that. He bore that up the hill, up the mountain, when Abraham was to, to sacrifice him. We see that picture presented well here, uh, that that was pointing to this moment when Christ would carry his own cross. It signified our burden that was placed on him, right? Isaiah 53, 6, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We see in 1 Peter 2.24, it looks back at this prophecy, it says, He Himself bore our sin in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live, and live to righteousness. By His wounds we have been healed. He carried a cross that didn't really belong to Him, right? It was His not out of justice, it was not his because he had sinned and deserved to be crucified. He carried a cross that was his out of love, out of, out of carrying that burden for us who deserved to carry the burden. He carried a cross that belonged to him not because of his guilt, but because of his love. For us. We also know that the carrying of his cross was instructive to us. Christ implored his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, that they were to take up 
their cross and follow Him. That they, that we as Christians, we all have our cross to carry. We all have our burden to bear as we follow Christ. Don't think that life's always going to be easy. Don't think it's going to be a picnic. It's not going to be. We all have a, a cross to carry, but we need to realize that He's carried the bulk of it, right? Um, I, don't like, I don't like helping people move. I don't. I hate moving myself, and I sure don't enjoy helping people move, but sometimes I do it because I'm obligated because they helped me move. And what kind of terrible person am I if I don't go help them move? And, but the thing, I've got strategy though, because in the heavy items, it's, it's my strategy is I go at it like I love it. You want to be the first at the item, right? If there's this big dresser, you want to be like, I'm, I'm really into lifting this dresser because you want to take the light end or you want to take the end that maybe has a built-in handle, maybe the drawer's been removed so you can grab it. You don't want to be at that back end, right? Well, there's just nothing to hold on to. But because I'm a terrible friend, I go for what's light. I go for what's easy to carry. Not so with Christ. When it comes to the cross, He has carried the heavy end. I love what Matthew Henry uh, says in his commentary concerning this. This is beautiful to me. Our Master hereby taught all His disciples to take up their cross and follow Him. Whatever cross He calls us out to bear at any time, we must remember that He bore the cross first. And by bearing it for us, bears it off from us in great measure. For thus He hath made His yoke easy and His burden light. He bore the end of the cross that had the curse upon it. This was the heavy end. And hence, all that are His are enabled to carry their affliction for Him, uh, for him light and but for a moment. Christ has carried the heavy end. And carrying His cross, the cross that belonged to us, nothing that He asked us to carry in our life is going to compare to the cross that we deserve to carry. Remember that. Take that into account when it's time in those moments where you are to carry the burden of being a Christian. Let's look at the location of the cross that's also described here. Golgotha, the place of a skull. It was a cursed place. It was a place that was unclean. This was the place where bad things happened. It's believed that it earned its name as a place of the skull is because like even in the city, when someone was beheaded, they would take the heads and just throw them out here at this place, at Golgotha. It was a place where bad things happened. You, you know that uh, through the Old Testament, the great laws about touching anything dead and, and how, how easily you could become unclean. And, and we see here a very unclean place, a place that's, that's filled with death and decay. But not only is it this location, but we see that He's crucified between two criminals. I mean, if He had been crucified by Himself, man, that would have been 
man, look at him alone, and he's a martyr, and, and man, he's special. If he had been crucified with a couple of his disciples, even then he would have had the company of, of people that believed in him, people that, that trusted in him, and, 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 and that would have carried some weight. But they didn't want any of that. They wanted him to be crucified with criminals, with men that had deserved the cross, that had earned the cross with their unrighteous and unjust living. Some people even believe that maybe they rushed the crucifixion of these two men just so that they could just throw Christ up there with, the, with the other petty criminals. Can you imagine that, I mean, you're waiting, you're going to be crucified maybe a week or so down the road and they come drag you out of the cell just simply for the fact that they want this man, this righteous, holy man, to die with people that actually deserve the cross. And, and again, we see in their desire to embarrass him, they only fall into the trap of fulfilling Scripture. Once again, Isaiah 53, 12, and was not talking about Christ, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressor. Christ died as he had lived among sinners. Not as one who wanted no part of them, but, but one that was so close to them, he was called a friend of sinners. He died right there next to sinners. And we, we know that throughout his life he gave sinners hope and we know from the other Gospels that even one of those criminals that died with him received that hope that he gave to sinners. And what a great testimony that even as he died, he died among transgressors because those were the people he came to save. We see the, just the crucifixion itself. I must admit, I, I, I kind of find the simple description here that John gives us of the crucifixion very just plain, for lack of a better word. I mean, John has showed himself just capable. I mean, it's, he wrote the most dramatic gospel and just amazing interactions that he wrote with people and, uh, about, about Jesus interacting with people. And John just describing uh, just these things and, and, and paints these beautiful pictures. And it's, it's the most novel-like of all of the gospels. And yet, when it comes to this, the crucifixion of our Lord, he just simply says, there they crucified him. I mean, it's almost like the rest of the time, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, John's a, kind of describing things like a woman does, right? When a woman, when a man describes his day, it's fine. Uh, how was work? Well, I, I worked. And you ask a woman, how was her day? She starts at the beginning, right? I got out of bed. I made the bed. I had this for breakfast. The kids did this. I did that. We see here, John just gives a very man-like description. He was crucified. 
We're the ones that seem to get fixated on the details of the crucifixion. The hammer, the nails. Did the nails go in the palm? Did the nails go in the wrist? And most of what we know about the crucifixion, it comes more from history and tradition than it does the actual Bible itself. And and now I, I believe we have a very accurate picture from history, there's lots of accounts of what the crucifixion was, of what it was like. It was gruesome, of course. It was so gruesome that if you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't be crucified. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't even for the worst of, 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 of them, of the, of the Romans, if you were a Roman citizen, you could not be subjected to this horrible treatment. It was only other nations, other nationalities. And we know that it was designed not for a quick death. No, it was, it was designed for a very slow death. That uh, despite all the blood and all the pain, it was a, just a slow suffocation as you... I mean, there was a, 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 a piece of wood that you stood on on the cross that was meant you had to push up to breathe and you had to push up at these limbs that were nailed to the wood to get every breath and just eventually you couldn't do it anymore and it took sometimes days as people walked by and looked at you in your nakedness it was indeed gruesome and our lord endured it for us but i do think we can learn something from the gospel writers lack of focus on the details I mean, I wonder sometimes, was it, I mean, were they just, they didn't want to rehash it. They were there. Like, John, I was at the foot. I I saw it. I don't want to talk about it. It was horrible. I think we can learn even more from John's lack of description here is, is don't get caught up in the sentimentality of the event and you lose sight of the truth of the event. How many depictions have there been of the crucifixion? How much art has been done and and depicted this moment? How many movies have been made that depict this moment? People walk around, tons of people walk around and have tattoos that depict this moment. And many wear this moment as a necklace around their neck. And yet so many of those, so many of the people that have seen the movie, that have observed the art, that have painted the, old, the art, or done the sculptures, and gotten the tattoos, or wear the necklace, so many of them, they haven't embraced the truth of it. They haven't let it in. And so don't get caught up in the nails and all of that and the picture and visualizing what must it have been like and miss the main point is that your Savior was crucified for you. Believe in it. Believe in it. And don't get so caught up in the physical that you miss the supernatural. As if the the whip and the thorns and the nails 
are all you see, but you're missing the point of what was unseen. And that is that moment where our sins were placed upon the Son. Even though He was sinless and perfect, and He received on Himself the burden of our sins. And in that moment, this amazing relationship that had always been, that had always been perfect, this love and and, and just togetherness of the Trinity. In a moment, the Father had to look away from His Son because of the sins that were placed upon Him. Folks, the nails, the cross, the whip, the fist of the soldiers, all of that was terrible. None of us would want to endure it. But let me tell you something. None of that held, held a candle to that moment where our sin was pla- were placed upon Christ and the Father had to look away. And the, the, the Son screamed, why have you forsaken me? Listen, folks, it, it wasn't the cup of the nails and the cross that He drank. It was the cup of the wrath of His Father. And so don't let just the, the physical... Let you not see the depth of what it costs the Son to bear our sins and cost the Father as well as He looked away. Next we see this, the inscription of the cross. Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth the King of the Jews. The Jews protested, no, that's not what you need to write. You need to write, this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate had just frankly had enough. He didn't want to crucify him to begin with. And he says, what I've written, I've written. I'm done. This I'm going to get my way. This is what it's going to say. And I don't think Pilate's I think Pilate meant this as a ridicule to Jesus and a ridicule to the Jews. I don't think he was trying to say anything profound here. And yet, once again, he's saying more than he knows. Because in this description, we see a king that's truly exalted. Again, what is meant to shame him speaks of the truth of that he is the king of the Jews. He is the king. This is, this is his method of exaltation. This is how he's exalted on the cross. This is his victory, right? This is, in this moment, he is, tri- he is triumphing over his adversaries, as the Scriptures say, through what? The cross. And also in this inscription we see that he's a king, not just exalted, but a king for all. Pilate had it written in three languages. Aramaic, which was the language of Judea, which is what most of the Jews spoke. 
He wrote it in Latin, which was the language of the army. He wrote it in Greek, the language of the empire. And again, I think uh, Pilate's intention here is just simply, I want everybody to be warned that don't claim to be a king. I want everybody in the kingdom to know that this guy said he was the king of the Jews and he's being crucified for it. So once again, what Pilate means to warn is really what we see is it's a gospel, it's a king that's for all. That all who who gaze upon him and, and believe in him no matter what language you speak, he is, he is dying for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. What a great testimony, even in this. Again, they just keep trying to ridicule him, and they just keep speaking truth. They keep declaring truth. And in this, we see that he is a global king meant for all who would believe in every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's the crucifixion. And we, we get a, a look at some observers. Some people that were there near the cross. And first we see the indifferent observers of the cross of Christ. Jesus had nothing in this world, folks. Physically. Materially. He had the clothes on his back. And of course, as you were crucified, you were stripped down. And the soldiers, likely just kind of for payment of being there, nailing into the cross, whatever, were working this shift. One of the things they got to do is take his items, to take what belonged to him, and he didn't have much. He had four items of, of clothing, likely probably his sandals, probably a, a head covering and, and, art, and, a, and a couple of other garments on him. And then he had this, this one piece of clothing that was actually a little bit on the fancy side because it didn't have a seam. And so they were like, okay, we've got these other four items. We've got this other item and we can't rip this up among ourselves because we're going to decrease its value. So... Let's just cast lots and we'll see who gets this last item of clothing. And once again, what they're doing in cruelty was, was acting to fulfill Scripture. It was fulfilling Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, 18, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. If they had only known His true provision, if they had only known they had only known what He was truly offering them. They walked away from the cross with a pair of old sandals, with a head covering. And they could have walked away with eternal life. But they were indifferent. They didn't care. They didn't believe. They were just soldiers doing a job. And that's not the last time that people will look at the cross of Christ with indifference and say, so what? It happens every day. It's likely happening in this room even now. 
as you hear about the cross once again and you say, I don't know that I buy it. But then there's also another group. Another group that we see is the involved observers of the cross of Christ. It says, so the soldiers did these things and so meant to com- compare the soldiers, it says in verse 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So contrary to the soldiers who didn't give a rip about Christ were these women that their hearts were breaking. We don't know much about uh, his aunt that's mentioned here or, or Mary of Clopas. We don't know much about them. We know, we know his mother. We know his mother, was bra- her heart was breaking in two. Can you imagine seeing your son suffer like this? We know Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed and Jesus had delivered her from that fate. And so she was seeing her Lord crucified right there in front of her. So we, here we see the interaction with, with these women. And we don't really see this in the other Gospels. And it appears that these women are not far away. They're right there where Jesus can talk to them. They're very close. And verse 26 says, When Jesus saw His mother and the disciple whom He loved, again, uh, that was John's description of Himself in His Gospel, that all you need to know about this disciple is that He was loved by Jesus. So John was there with the women, standing nearby. He said to His mother, Woman, behold your son. Then He said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. We see a couple things here. We see Jesus' care in his human role as a son. Mary at this time, we believe, was a widow. She had lost Joseph. Uh, Jesus' brothers were not on board with Jesus. And so, at least at this point, they were not yet. Uh, There are things that will change that, but... Likely they had abandoned the family because Mary believed Jesus, her son, was that Savior that they denied. And in this culture, women being caught without family, it was dangerous. It was not a good thing. There there was was no Social Security. There was no Medicare. Okay, You were in big trouble if you lost your family. And so Jesus was not about... To take, to, to, to take that risk to, to leave his mom without care. And so he calls his trusted disciple, hey, from here on out, this is your mom. And mom, this is your son. He's providing safety for his mother to care for her. And we see that even in this moment of his great mission, to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, he still cared about his singular, meaningful relationships that he had. Right? He, he didn't say, women, give me some space. I'm, I'm literally dying here. He didn't do that. He cared, even in his great mission to save the world, he cared about his mother and the rest of her life. 
He cared about these relationships of these women that had meant so much to him. And, and not only that, we know again th- from the other Gospels that he even cared about the thieves that were on either side of him because we know that one of them finds salvation because Jesus promises him that because he believed. Isn't it amazing that in this moment of, of a worldwide mission, he's caring about his mother, he's caring about this old criminal, even though he was saving countless multitudes he cared about this criminal this one criminal even engaged in a mission to save the world jesus would not look past the one and let us be people that we value the relationships that god's given whether it's yes certainly our moms right that's a no-brainer if your mom's cared for you you make sure that she's cared for. But let us, let us not, let us be careful that we aren't engaged in worldwide mission. Let us not go to Cuba, or let's not go to Nicaragua or Ukraine and forget the relationships that God's given us around us, the one-on-one relationships that He's given us to care for, to be, as, as he is, to care about every person in our life and to, to make sure that they're cared for, especially with the gospel of Christ. May that be true of us. May we care the way that Jesus cared about others. So, many people have heard the story of the cross. Many of people have pictured it, learned about it. Some look with indifference. Some don't care. And they walk away with maybe something, maybe a cool story, maybe nice feelings that, hey, that guy was great, he laid down his life, but it's as worthless as an old sandal that the soldiers walked away with. But those who, who look upon Christ on the cross and they believe and they, they believe that He's doing that for me, for my sins. You will find yourself under His care as these women were. They were under His care. John was under His care because they believed in Him. So my prayer is that everyone here this morning will be those who don't look at indifference on Christ on the cross, but, but look in faith and belief for all that he can give them, that you may walk away with eternal life. I want to ask you to please stand as, as our musicians come and lead us in a word of prayer. Dear Father God, I thank you for sending Christ and God, I can't even begin to imagine not only the human suffering that he endured from the nails and the whip and all of that, but God, I'll never realize what it took for him to bear the sins of us. God, help us to to feel that this morning and help us not 
Help no one here to look at that in it with indifference this morning, but help us to embrace it and realize that, God, this is everything. God, help us as Christians to be those who care about others. We care about individuals in our lives and the moms and dads and brothers and sisters and cousins and, and neighbors and friends and all of those people that you've, you've put in our life. God, help us. reach them with your glorious gospel prepare their hearts and make our hearts courageous to share that message